Hello, everyone, and welcome back to The Van Maren Show. Today on the show, we're going to be talking to a former abortionist who performed between 500 and 1,000 abortions herself, and she'll explain what she saw in the abortion clinic when she realized what she was doing was a horrifying act of injustice and her journey from inside the abortion clinic to the pro-life movement. Stay tuned. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Van Maren Show on LifeSiteNews.com. My name is Jonathan Van Maren, and today we're going to be talking to Dr. Kathy Altman. Uh, those of you who follow the pro-life movement may have seen her testify on behalf of a wide range of pro-life laws right across the United States. She's testified before Congress because unlike most people involved in the movement, she has actually seen with her own eyes what abortion actually is, what it does to pre-born children. Children, what it does to women. She has seen their body parts lying there on a cold tray. She has seen what abortion does to our entire society. And so she was, uh, I'm so grateful, she was willing to come on the show and share her experience with us because she has, ever since she became pro-life, trying to make up for the past that she was involved with and to share her experience with others. So this is my interview with Dr. Kathy ultimate a former abortion provider so maybe just to start off you can give us a little bit of background on how you ended up in the medical field well i was one of those kids that used to volunteer to clean my dad's fish that he caught so i could open them up and look at their guts <laughs> right not too and queasy then I, <laughs> and then uh i had a, my aunt was the first uh female bioengineer and when I was in the fourth grade, I went to her lab and uh, decided I wanted to be a scientist. Okay. And, and then I went up to visit her a couple of summers, and she enrolled me in a program at Roswell Park uh, uh, Hospital or Center, um, a cancer center program. And I decided that I liked working with people better than uh, working in a lab and decided I'd be a doctor. So when was the first time you ever heard about abortion? Probably in college. Do you remember what you thought about it when you were first introduced to the topic? I, I didn't, I don't think I really thought about it one way or the other. So At how did you point. get from um, being somebody who had heard about abortion but had never really considered it to somebody who performed abortions and then eventually ended up testifying in front of Congress about why America should make abortion illegal again and protect preborn children in the womb? Um, I, I ended up uh, getting pregnant the first time I went to bed with my future husband and decided that if I got pregnant, I might not be able to go to medical school and that all my friends would think I was terrible and I didn't want to have to get married uh, just because I was pregnant because I thought it would end in divorce. So I decided that abortion was the best thing for me personally. And so I had an abortion. 
And I think that then colored my feelings about abortion. And I didn't feel it was wrong. I felt it was probably something that was necessary. And then when I got to my OBGYN residency program, I saw a really young girl giving birth and I decided that no one should have to have a baby that they didn't want. Right. And I became a real advocate for abortion and felt it was a woman's right. Do you remember when you when you first began to perform abortion? Yes. Um, I, I began learning in my residency program. I don't remember if it was the first or second year, but as soon as I was able to get my medical license, which occurs after the first year, I immediately signed up to do abortions um, in a moonlighting capacity so I could make extra money. Do you remember how how you reacted, how it felt the first time? Because I've spoken to a lot of people who say ideologically, conceptually, it's one thing. And the pro-choice worldview has been packaged with a lot of rhetoric that is very appealing to people across the board, right? The the language of choice, of liberty, of freedom is the language mm-hmm. of, of both sides of the aisle in many cases. But the reality of abortion and facing the reality of abortion is something else entirely. When you actually encountered the real thing, when you performed the real thing, do you remember, did it shift your thinking at all initially? Or, or was it just a basic medical procedure that didn't have much of an impact on you? It was... At that point, it was just a basic medical procedure, and it really didn't have an impact. I didn't see the fetus as any different from the chick embryos that I dissected in college. So it it really didn't affect me. I, I don't remember having any sort of an emotional response. When did it start to affect you? The, the only time I had any reservations about doing abortions was during my neonatal intensive care unit rotation when I realized that I was trying to save babies in the NICU that I w- were the same age as babies that I was aborting because I, had, I was doing a preceptorship with a late-term abortionist learning how to do the D&E procedure. And that was the only time I had any reservations, but I was able to just sort of tuck it back in the back of my brain and and uh, forget about it. And it really wasn't until after I had my baby that I began to see the fetus as a human being for the first time. And after my first trip back to the abor- I did abortions while I was pregnant and felt fine about it. But after I delivered, when I went back to work in the clinic, um, I, I found I couldn't, I couldn't do them anymore. The baby not being wanted was no longer enough justification for me to kill it. How many abortions did you do during the time that you were performing them? You know, I, I sat down with a friend of mine who uh, uh, did abortions at the same place I did. And we tried to figure it out, and somewhere between 500 and 1,000, probably. Was there a difference for you as the provider? Because I've read a lot. There's a reason that so few abortion providers do. 
the later term abortion. So in Canada, the pioneer of uh, of the Canadian abortion movement was Dr. Henry Morgenthaler, and even he had a pretty hard limit set. <clears throat> excuse me, just above 20 weeks. Um, a lot of the the um, the abortion providers shy away from doing abortions once the baby is so obviously human that they can't really silence their conscience in the face of of, of what they're looking at. Uh, how late did you do abortions, and did you find the DNA abortions, for example, dilatation and evacuation, different than the early term abortions? Um. I'm trying to remember when I was doing abortions with the uh, late-term abortionist. I think some, a couple of them were probably closer to 24 weeks. Um, I think there was a limit at that point at 24 weeks here in Florida. But um, I hate to say it, but my reaction to the fetal parts was similar to that of... Um, uh, Abby in Unplanned. Right. I asked Abby about it on this podcast. Why didn't you react to the baby body parts? Why was it the ultrasound yeah. that did it? Yeah. Um, I think I had the same reaction to the body parts that she did in that I just saw them as fascinating and scientifically interesting. I I used to send I used to like to send the uh, different organs, fetal organs to pathology so that I could see what they looked like, what they were made of. Um, very similar to my interest in, you know, opening up the fish to see what was inside. Right. I don't, I don't quite understand that reaction. I think part of it is in medicine, we're, we're taught to compartmentalize because so often we have to hurt patients or do things that other people would find repulsive. Um, and we're taught to just kind of shove that in the corner and get on with it. So one of the things um, <clears throat> that so many people don't want to discuss and, and, and many people outright deny on, on the pro-choice side of the fence at the organization, uh, the pro-life organization I work with. We, we talk to people about abortion all the time. And the one thing people will say, uh, especially when they see abortion victim photography or imagery that shows how um, gory and horrible abortion actually is, they'll say that there's no way that it actually looks like that. And one of the things that I'll often say in response is not to, you know, defend the veracity of the images, but just ask them to picture the last ultrasound that they saw and then imagine what that baby would look like once once the abortion clinic was through with it. What did you see in your work as an abortion provider? Well, it's exactly it's exactly what the pictures show. I mean, how can it be otherwise? You're you're tearing this little body limb from limb, so you got arms and legs and faces and it's it, um, it's it's exactly what the pictures portray that you know have been out there and um, it's funny we were in a hearing once and and I had given a fairly graphic description a very graphic graphic but honest description and uh, one of the members got upset that that we had no decorum and how could I, you know, be so graphic and, um, and, and <laughs> the, the uh, chairman of the committee said, well, gosh, if we, if we can't even discuss it, should we be doing them? <laughs> right, right, 
Right. If it's, if it's too hard to look at, why are we allowing this to happen? Yeah. So when you were working, for example, in the clinic with the late-term abortionist, what is the, what is the atmosphere like? Uh, in an abortion clinic. We've had several former abortion workers on this show. We've talked to Carol Everett. We've talked to Abby Johnson. And everybody has a slightly different answer. And so I'm, I'm very curious as to what it was like, especially in a late-term clinic where it's much harder for people to deny what is actually going on. A first-trimester abortion, a lot of the people I've talked to who have been involved with them say the baby is so small, unless you're really going through um, the remains afterwards, it's very difficult to pick out body parts because a suction aspirator essentially reduces the tiny child to, to bloody slurry at that point. But in a clinic where you're performing late-term abortions, this is totally different because it's very hard for anybody to really deny what's going on. Well, two things. One, um, actually the suction curette does not reduce it just to a slurry. If it's maybe five or six weeks, maybe you won't see the body parts, yeah, but yeah. almost every other stage, you they're definable little feet and hands and arms and legs. So it is, um, it's there. And the abortionist has to open the sack and make sure the body parts are there to make sure that there will be no residual and, and infection. Um, but in, in my particular case, um, this guy just did abortions as part of his practice. Okay. And basically when I would go in, the patient would be asleep and, you know, we would do the, do the procedure. So it, um, I really don't have many memories of, um, you know, and certainly it wasn't in a clinic. So, but, but the, but you're right. In that case, the body parts were coming out one at a time and um and it was much more obvious but i i even hate to say this but at the time it was i sort of felt the bigger the better you know it was more of a challenge i i i have trouble understanding my thinking back then right but i i saw it simply as one more challenge something to be good at how are the DNA? How are the DNA abortions that you were involved with performed? Well, basically, um, after dilating the woman's cervix over a day or two, you have to put in some uh, laminaria to dilate the cervix. And once the cervix is dilated enough, you take out the laminaria a day or two later, and um, you break the water and then reach in with an instrument and try to grab any part that you can. And by pulling and twisting, you can um, detach it and you put it in the bucket and then you just keep doing that until you can't get anything else. And then you open your clamp a little bit more uh, in the uterus and try to grab the thorax and crush it or the, and then the head and, and crush it. And then you, try to get the rest of the placenta and anything else that's left behind. 
One of the things uh, I wanted to ask, and I know it's a, it's a difficult question to ask, but uh, one of uh, one of the things that I found both uh, with the way people respond to abortion victim photography when you're trying to engage people in conversation, but also talking to people who are who were involved in some way in the abortion industry, is that even when it was it was um, tolerable to see the limbs, the, you know, the crushed rib cages, all of those things. There's a, a horrifying essay that Harper's published years ago by, um, by uh, Susan Tisdale called We Do Abortions Here uh, that really, really goes into this in detail. But they say it was the faces always that were the hardest thing to look at because it established a human connection. But then again, Abby Johnson didn't have a visceral reaction to anything right up until she saw that baby on the ultrasound trying to get away from, from the suction aspirator. Do you remember seeing the baby's faces and did they stand out? I, I really didn't have a reaction either. I, it's amazing how similar Abby and I were in our reactions. So looking, and I never, I never saw an ultras. I never saw an abortion on ultrasound. Had I seen it, it might have made it made a difference. So looking back through the lens of what you know now, and I've I've re- I've read your your testimony to Congress and and a lot of the things that you've done. Looking back at your experience now, uh, what what are the experiences that you had that you think I sh- that should have stood out? The things that you look at and say, why why did that not affect me at the time? Well, probably the biggest one is why didn't it affect me when I saw the babies? And I think that was because I compartmentalized. The other thing was that I was so intent on trying to make this actually painful procedure the least painful that I could for my patients. And yet I never even thought about the pain the baby was experiencing as it was having arms and legs pulled off. I never even considered it. And that makes me really sad. What was it that started to change your mind about it? You said you indicated earlier that at first it was it was um, being pregnant, which didn't bother you as much, which is interesting because there's a number of abortion providers who have described um, doing abortions while pregnant, including one one account, which I'm sure you've read as well, where she felt her baby kick for the first time as the forceps grasped the leg of a baby of the same age. And she said, despite my feminist training, despite my abortion training, the tears sprang to my eyes. The, the, the emotion sort of circumvented all of the uh, intellectual defense mechanisms she'd set up. She didn't stop doing abortions, but she wrote about this really raw moment that's it's, it's kind of grotesque even, even to consider it. Um, and you said that you did abortions while you were pregnant. It was after your baby was born. Was that the beginning of your recognition that this is something I can't do anymore because this is horrible? Or how did that transformation start to happen? I think I think I must have made the fetal baby connection um, when my baby was born. Because when I went back to the clinic, I ran into these three patients. And when I look at my responses now, I must have been thinking more of, of that fetus as a baby because the first uh, first patient I saw was a girl that I had done three abortions on previously myself and I hadn't been doing them that long and I went to the clinic manager and said I don't want to do this she's using abortion as birth control 
and um, and I don't want to do it. And she said, well, you don't have that right. She has the right to do that. And you need to do the abortion. And I said, well, that's easy for you to say you're not the one doing the killing. So at that point, I must have already known somehow that I was killing. Um, so I did the abortion, um, tried to get her to take birth control pills, and she refused. Then another patient came in with her girlfriend, and sometimes they would ask to see the tissue. Oh, really? And Yeah. And the girlfriend um, asked her, do you want to see the tissue? And she said, no, I just want to kill it. And I thought, what did that baby ever do to you? So again, I must have, something inside had changed that I would look at it in that way. Right. And then the third patient um, was a, a mother who had four children at home and was pregnant. And she and her husband decided they couldn't afford to keep the child. And so she came in for an abortion and she cried the whole time she was there. And I didn't know until years later why after that, after that patient, I could no longer do abortions. I didn't understand until years later when I was testifying. And I think God brought to my mind that it was the, it was the apathy and hostility of the first two patients contrasted with the, the, um, the misery of the third patient who knew what it was to have a child. Uh, that contrast was what um, changed my mind. And I personally just couldn't stomach doing abortions anymore. What is the, what was the general reaction of abortion patients in your experience coming in? Um, it's funny. I don't have a lot of memory about that. Um, these were mostly young college girls. Um, a, lo a lot of the time, um, you know, it was just kind of um, help them find a reason. They usually had to have a reason why they were having abortions. So uh, we would say, well, psychologically, isn't it going to, um, isn't this going to, um, injure you psychologically right. if you have this unwanted baby. So we'd come up with a reason. There was sort of a very quick um, discussion about risks and what was going to happen. And I was just very focused on helping them um, get through this procedure and, and make it so it wasn't too painful for them or as painful as it, as it could be. And I, um, I, some of them were probably more distressed than, than others, right. but I don't really remember a lot of that. Did you ever see uh, any complications to the abortion procedure? I never, I never personally had any significant complications, or at least I didn't know about them because I basically went in to the clinic, did the abortion and I left and I never heard one way or the other. So I could have had complications, but didn't know it. But I did see a lot of complications um, when I was in my practice because the local abortion clinic 
instead of taking care of their own complications, would just tell them to go to the ER. And where where was this clinic? Um, uh, in I think it was in in well in Jacksonville or in Orange Park. Right, Florida. Well, there were no, I'm sorry, there were none in Orange Park. The clinics were all in Jacksonville, but the local OBs all really resented the fact that we had to take care of patient, these patients that were seen at the abortion clinic and then had complications. It, it wasn't infrequent to see patients who were having excessive bleeding or got an infection, um, had retained parts. Um, the worst complication I didn't actually see myself, but I was on call one night when I heard that the general surgeons had been given a patient who had um, had her bowel perforated um, by the abortionist. Uh, he actually pulled out a piece of her small bowel. He perforated her uterus oh, wow. and pulled out a loop of her small bowel through her vagina. So she, they sent her straight to the uh, the general surgeons, and I never really heard what happened to her, whether she lived or not. So you uh, you had these three patients, and those three patients, the contrast between those patients was sort of one of the reasons that you, you started to move out. That combined with the fact that you'd experienced pregnancy and childbirth yourself. What was your pro-life journey like from that point when you realized, I can't do this anymore, to testifying in front of political bodies across the United States, giving lectures, giving speeches and presentations on what you saw while, while you were working in the clinic, talking to people like me and describing your experience in detail? Because obviously there's a, a pretty big space from there to here. So what was that journey like, yeah. that transformation? Like, how did you go from being uh, instinctually pro-life in your thinking and uh, and viscerally shying away from what you had been doing to intellectually pro-life with a, with a philosophy to frame your view on this? Well, unfortunately, even though I couldn't stomach doing abortions myself, I was still a real pro-choice advocate. Okay. And I felt. I still felt abortion was a right. I uh, referred for abortions. I just couldn't personally do them. And it wasn't until uh, when I was in my private practice and I started seeing these young women who had unplanned pregnancies and kept them and were doing really well because that didn't jive with the feminist propaganda right. I had swallowed. They were doing great. And then I was seeing these other women who um, who had abortions and were having psychological problems. They were having complications. Uh, I had one patient who had an abortion at 20 plus weeks, and it was a, a medical induction type abortion. And they, she was pretty badly mistreated. They they kept her overnight with no call button and a, no blanket in the clinic, and she was hurting. And then the next morning, they, you know, gave her a vaginal tablet. And um, and then when the time came, they just told her to sit on the toilet and pushed. Well, she delivered this 20-plus-week baby into the toilet where it drowned. Wow. And um, she wow. was really psychologically damaged when I saw her. She came to me because of prolonged bleeding that, 
you know, she couldn't, couldn't deal with. And um, so that affected me. And then in my church, I saw young women who decided to keep their babies and then watched those babies grow up and realized that these were, you know, these were darling little children. And uh, one of them actually was a Down syndrome baby. And just watching these kids grow up, I began to get more of a feel for who maybe these aborted babies, you know, these kids could have been. been. Yeah. It wasn't, though, until a friend of mine uh, gave me an article that compared abortion to the Holocaust that I really changed my mind. Really? My, my father was with the unit that opened, well, that liberated the first, first concentration camp in World War II. And so I grew up with those stories and pictures. And I, when I became a doctor, I couldn't understand how the German doctors could do what they did until I read that article. And I thought, yeah, they could do it just like I could kill babies um, because we didn't consider them human. They didn't consider the Jews and the other people they mistreated and killed as humans. And I didn't consider fetuses as human. And that was the first time that I saw myself as a mass murderer. And it was right about then that the ten, Ted Bundy case was in the news. And, and I thought, oh, my gosh, you know, I've killed a lot more people than Ted Bundy. But it wasn't illegal. And um, shortly after that, I and that was when I became pro-life. Shortly after that, I got an email asking if anyone would be willing to go to Washington to testify about partial birth abortion. And that was the one exception in my thinking. I always believed partial birth, partial birth abortion was murder. And I didn't, I didn't understand why those doing it weren't arrested mm-hmm. because I felt it, that was murder. Right. So anyway, I ended up, uh, they didn't need me then, but subsequently I was called to testify in Florida and Vermont and a bunch of other states on partial birth abortion, ended up um, testifying before Congress and and then actually assisted the um, attorney general on on, uh, defending the case. And then my life sort of, that all sort of died down. My life went back to normal. And it wasn't in that, that was 20 years ago. And it wasn't until I became ill, I actually became allergic to work. (laughs) Um, I became allergic to everything and had to stop practicing. And after being in my house, sort of isolated for about a year and a half, I prayed that God would still let me do something important. And all of a sudden I got a call. Uh, would I testify before Congress on an abortion bill? And I, I, um, I said, yes. And then it was just one thing after another. And I've testified quite extensively and I joined the Charlotte Lozier Institute 
um, as an associate scholar, which has been a really good thing. So now when you when you give presentations, lectures, when you're testifying and you look back at your time in the abortion industry, what is the one thing or one or two things that you wish everybody knew and understood about the abortion industry that they would have if they had seen what you saw? I think that I think the main thing is that these are human beings. Um, they're not blobs of tissue. They're little people that we're depriving of a whole life. And our, we have so much compassion for young women or even older women who have an unwanted pregnancy. We don't lack in compassion there. We need to have compassion for these people who we're depriving of a whole lifetime. And when you think about it, Women are only pregnant for a short time, and especially um, when they finally figure out they're pregnant. Right. Um, it's a matter of months. And so, yes, it's it's sad and it's unfortunate that someone is pregnant when they don't want to be. But compare that against a whole lifetime of not being. And um, I think it puts things in a different perspective. The other thing is that people need to know is that this is a big money-making machine and they have a tremendous amount of money and backing and they've been very effective in really changing the public perception on abortion. So when you testify, what are what are the things that you focus on the most? It depends on the bill. Um, it, 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 well, I've testified on the heartbeat bill, the dismemberment bill, the um, um, pain-capable bill. Those are the main ones. And so uh, I guess... Speaking just to the listeners and to the viewers based on your experience, is there any resources you would direct people to? And again, I just really, because you, you have, you have a very unique experience. There are very few people like you and Abby Johnson and Carol Everett who, who leave the industry with, with the memories and the scars and, and, and and what you experienced and what you saw. Um, And there's a lot of people in the pro-life movement who grew up you know, believing abortion was wrong from, uh, since they were very young or had an experience later that changed their perspective on that. Uh, and I guess fr- from your experience, besides this fundamental truth that the, we are talking about a human being and that abortion does almost always come with some form of regret, uh, even a lot of the most prominent, even Henry Morgenthaler here in Canada, who's called the father of abortion rights, admitted he regretted the abortion of his own child. Even the the chief abortionist himself admitted regret. Uh, but what was it what, what, that you saw with your eyes that you wish you could show everybody else? Because if you could, it would change their perspective. I think for most people, because um, they don't have the same kind of background, just the torn little bodies, you know. But you you started uh, to ask me about resources, and um, I would say uh, the Charlotte Lozier Institute. Yes website is a good place to start. Live Action has a lot of really good 
videos and information, CareNet, also I think it's a good resource. Um, Well, Dr. Altman, thank you so much for taking the time and sharing your experience. I know it's often difficult for you, so we really appreciate you coming on and and exposing the abortion industry so that people can avoid the decisions uh, that so many others have made. We're really, really grateful that you were willing to come on and talk about this. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, that was my interview with Dr. Kathy Altman, a former abortion provider. Thanks so much for joining us again this week. If you want to check out past shows, you can head over to LifeSiteNews.com and click on their podcast tab. You can subscribe on YouTube. If you prefer to just listen to the podcast, we're on iTunes, SoundCloud, Pippa, wherever you get your podcasts. Again, thank you so much for joining us this week, and we do hope you'll join us again next week.